Typical Talk. This is a podcast where we have conversations that illuminate the intersection of faith, culture, and the common spaces of our humanity. I'm Abby. I'm Allison. And I'm Joel. And today our conversation is going to be about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. This is a very hot topic right now and we wanted to talk about this and um, a little bit about our role as Christians in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a hot topic at all. No. Not something something that everybody agrees Super upon. Light. <laughs> Just Super light, light conversation stuff. But we did feel like it was important. There's a lot of people talking at people about this issue, but um, I don't feel like there's a great cultural conversation going on with curiosity and empathy and trying to understand the other side. And so um, I thought it would be an important time for us to get together and have that conversation because hey we have a few microphones and a podcast and a few people that listen so <laughs> let's have that conversation i wish people were having and today um, i'm really excited because my friend uh, dr andrea hoover is here with us um, i met andrea a little over a year ago we're in a bible study together and um, she is an incredible incredible person and uh, through her work and her vocation i think she has a invaluable perspective and experience with this topic um, and she is a serious follower of Jesus and always blows me away by her research and how she'll go down the rabbit hole to find <laughs> the best information um, and I just admire that and admire her and inspired by her as a, a woman as a leader as a mother and as a follower of Jesus so Andrea thanks so much for joining us on the atypical talk podcast hey, thanks for having me Joel yeah. I appreciate it um, how would you like to introduce yourself yeah so I like Joel said I'm an OBGYN I have I had to think about this today I have been doing this for 19 years wow. <laughs> so, so the my, my first um, several years I worked in just a general practice of OBGYN taking care of women in the office and delivering babies and doing surgery the last four years I've been at a bigger hospital um, that's mainly the, a lot of what I do is doing high-risk obstetrics as far as um, taking care of sick moms in the hospital, delivering those early babies, um, and then doing some general OB care as well, but now I'm strictly in the hospital. So just to cut in for a second, yeah. do you have an estimation of how many babies I was literally you have <laughs> wanting to ask assisted that. bringing into the world? I know. People have asked me that. I so wish that I would have kept track of that. So it's I a mean, small it's, town yeah. in Oklahoma. I mean, it's, it's definitely Population. in the thousands. Like I, oh, I know before amazing. I finished residency, I think I had somewhere around a thousand deliveries, and then in private practice, somewhere around two hundred a year. So uh -huh. you, you put all those years together. I mean, there's a lot of babies. It's a lot of time in the room. <laughs> it's a lot of time in the room where it happens. Yeah, it really yes. is. That's, That's incredible. For sure. That's incredible. Yeah. So um, yeah, thanks so much for being here. Um, I'm so excited to hear your voice um, in this conversation. And just as we intro the topic. Um, of talking about the Supreme, Supreme Court's uh, reversal of Roe v. Wade, uh, we felt it was so necessary to talk about this and and be open and hearing and listening to each other in it. And just, I'm asking from everybody listening for a grace umbrella uh, because this topic of abortion, of a woman's right to choose and the life um, of the unborn and women's health, it is an emotionally charged issue. And it's an important issue. So I understand why there's a lot of emotion behind it. I have a lot of emotion um, behind this issue as well. So something that um, I, I just want to sort of guide our conversation in is understanding that uh, we all require a lot of grace and empathy as we talk about this. And for us to know that faithful Christians uh, throughout the last hundred years and even beyond, uh, in faithful Christians that are sitting in our churches across the world today, there's disagreement about abortion rights and there's disagreement about limits on abortion. There's disagreement about all these things and you can be a faithful Christian, be in the club, is using a terrible <laughs> euphemism, and have disagreements. And I think one of the beautiful things that we can model to the world is how to hold unity but not uniformity. And that's one of these issues where I think we have an opportunity 
to do so. So understand that um, we're not coming from any place of ultimate authority. Uh, there's no Bible verse in, in all of the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that talks directly about this issue and in our time. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There's some principles that we help try to guide us, but we're just doing the best we can in the time that God has us here to process and to walk faithfully um, in the world and to partner with God uh, to bring his kingdom here, to bring the up here or up there down here in our everyday life. So um, that's why we're talking about it. Please give us a grace umbrella as we talk about it. I think a lot of times in these conversations, um, there's some unhelpful binaries that we try to use. And a lot of times they're uh, pushed on us by our partisan politics, where there's one side of the aisle that likes to say, well, we're pro-life, and the other side of the aisle that um, will say that we are pro-choice. And I think those are unhelpful binaries. I think we all come to different places and we can define ourselves in different ways. But um, man, these can be divisive terms. And the reality is that everybody is pro-life to a certain degree and everybody is pro-choice to a certain degree. And if we find ourselves pigeonholed in these places, um, it just divides us more, and it doesn't speak truthfully to where we are. And honestly, one of my fears is that is that people of faith get co-opted by um, partisan politics in their search for power and control, and then we lose the plot in the process. So you're not going to hear us declare we're pro-life or we're pro-choice today. Uh, that's not the conversation that we're interested in having. Uh, I'll tell you what, we, the conversation we are interested in having is that we wanna be people that value people and care about people, all kinds of people. We value the life of unborn babies, of children, and of women. From God's heart and God's plan, from the womb, to the tomb. We value everybody in this conversation. And inside of that, we're guided by the way of Jesus and the example of Jesus. And uh, through the four gospels that you have in the beginning of your New Testament, you are uh, having this interaction with this Jewish rabbi who was radical in the way he talked about children, and he was radical in the way he talked about women. Uh, in the first century, it was very common to uh, throw babies out for them to be uh, left to just die from, it was called infanticide, just die from exposure, to leave them out by the local trash heap. And Jesus spoke into that reality, and he said, let the little children come to me. He says, if you get in the way of children, I'm going to tie a millstone. It'd be better that you tie a millstone around your neck and throw you to the bottom of the sea. Let the little children come to me. Um, the kingdom, they get, they get this. Kids, little ones that you think are insignificant, get it more than the adults in the room. And when it came to women, Jesus' ministry was basically bankrolled by women. He invited women to sit as his disciples, equal learners. And then when he uh, died, resurrected, then ascended to the right hand of God the Father, it was women who were leading the way, reading the letters of the apostles to the early churches. Jesus met the culture where it was, and he elevated both kids, babies, women, all along the way. So that's the conversation that we're interested in having is how do we approach the tragic decision, the tragic systems that um, create abortion to become this impossible choice that women face, and how do we meet people where they are in this complicated issue, and, and also examine the circumstances that lead to what I find to be just an impossible choice that many women face. So. We're not telling you how to vote. Um, we're not telling you that you're an idiot, you're wrong, or that you're reading the Bible wrong. That's not what we're doing here. Uh, we just want to have a spirit of curiosity and empathy. And for me, as today on the panel, the only uh, man in the room, my goal for the rest of the time that we have together is to shut up and, <laughs> and listen and humble myself to learn um, so that I can care for people better because that is what my rabbi my Lord Jesus um, is beckoning me to do. So take it away, ladies. <laughs> so I know uh, going through social media, it can be hard to actually understand what's going on because all you see is people arguing and yeah. getting at each other's throats. So what yeah. actually happened with the Supreme Court decision? 
Yeah, and I think that's an important first question because it is so misunderstood. And, um, you know, really, when you look at when Roe versus Wade in 1973 is when that Supreme Court decision was made, and that decision was given where women were given the right to choose to have an abortion, that the Constitution would guarantee that choice, and that that was permitted um, through viability um, with some permissions, uh, regulations after the first trimester. So when Roe v. Wade happened in 1973, that was giving the constitutional guarantee for the right to abortion. Now, when Roe v. Wade was overturned here recently, that was all based on a ruling of uh, what was Dobbs versus Jackson in the Supreme Court. And so in March of 2018 is when this was brought. And again, just to interject, you know, I, I want to, um, to tell you that I'm doing the best to give my topic justice. Like, I, you know, I can speak as an OBGYN. I can speak to the best of my ability about what's going on right now. These laws that we're seeing every day, things are changing. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't have the legal expertise to back it up. So I'm doing my best to do this topic justice. And, um, you know, as from my perspective as an OBGYN. So I just wanted to interject that <laughs> yeah. in there as well. But so um, in March of 2018, Mississippi's only abortion clinic sued Thomas Dobbs, which was a state health, officer, state health officer, regarding the ban of abortion after 15 weeks. So because they felt like that was a violation of some of these Roe versus Wade laws. And um, the Supreme Court, so this went to the Supreme Court of should this be banned after 15 weeks or not. And then the Supreme Court decision was when they looked at um, these opinions, they essentially just decided to give it back to the states. So instead of giving this constitutional guarantee on abortion, they have given the states that decision to decide. So the most important thing to understand out of this is this did not make abortion illegal um, in the United States. It turned the power back over to the states. And with that, we're going to see some decisions come pretty quickly, and some already have, on what each individual state's going to do. Mm-hmm. So instead of having one uniform understanding of the right to access to an abortion, yeah, it is now the possibility of fifty different options, options, yes. and different limitations and different freedoms. Yes, exactly across the country. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't like in one fatal swoop, like everything changed for everyone. Right. And as we sit today, you know, in Indiana, this is uh, July thirteenth, and um, actually nothing's changed in Indiana. Right. They have not, not made yet. any decisions yeah. yet. Now. It's likely that something will change, but it is fascinating the the fear, which is completely valid from mm-hmm. people that feel like they're losing a right, um, but also understanding that nothing has actually changed yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I think just adding on to that too, you know, when we talk about abortion, I just think just describing that term a little bit too, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that term. So we, in medically, we use the term abortion for um, a, a lot of different things. So when a miscarriage is considered a spontaneous abortion, and so we use, that's a, to, to say that's an abortion is a type of abortion, it's a spontaneous abortion. So I realize the word abortion has a very, um, you know, can ignite a lot of emotion, but in the medical world, there's a few different type of abortions other than what we're talking about here with Roe v. Wade for the most part. So, you know, spontaneous abortions or miscarriages, and sometimes you have an incomplete abortion where someone goes through a partial miscarriage, um, but their body couldn't finish it on its own, and they they maybe sometimes have to have a procedure or some medicine to help. So I think just dispelling, like, abortion doesn't necessarily equal elective abortion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, really what the laws are getting here is, um, for the most part, the intent is to get, um, to reduce the amount of elective abortions, meaning, you know, the whole point of the abortion is to end the life of that fetus for one reason or another. Okay. Well, you talk about the misconceptions around the term abortion, but what are some other misconceptions or things that aren't as black and white uh, that you've noticed in your expertise? Yeah. Gosh, there's lots of them. <laughs> so, And I think that's why this topic's so important. Um, you know, and just, I think, again, just remembering, like Joel said, this is a very heated topic because usually people on both sides really are it's you know they're speaking out and they're concerned because they care they have a desire for justice whether it be if they're looking at the perspective of the woman or of the unborn baby you know they're wanting to make sure people are taken care of and I think you know to remember that we're all more alike than we're different and that regardless of 
you know, where anyone stands on this topic. I think just trying to remember the humanity that they do want, you know, people just want to make sure people are taken care of, women and children or both. So I think, you know, just starting with that is important to remember when we talk about these things. That might have been, that might have been worth your um, pushing play on this podcast. (laughs) I mean, just to stop and think that, you know, both sides are after justice, which by the way, justice is a beautiful, and in my perspective as a Christian, like, that is a God-given desire um, for you to see things made right. And so we can see things differently, but understanding that both sides are trying um, to live out of this, you know, this God-given itch, you know, mm-hmm. to see things made right. I mean, that helps bring the temperature down in the conversation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. So, you know, I think probably one of the biggest misconceptions I see right now all over social media is that um, the overturning of Roe will prohibit the treatment of ectopic or miscarriages. So, you know, I think, and I know we'll hopefully get into this a little bit, I think there is some concern as we're making new legislation that some of the perception of the interpretation of these laws can have reason for concern. But certainly, I think the intent with all of these laws is that there, so far, any of them that have banned abortion, there's all of them have an exemption for the life of the mother. So, and you know, ectopic pregnancies, that is not a, an abortion. Like when you're treating an ectopic pregnancy, that is a different diagnosis code altogether to begin with, but that is something that cannot survive outside the womb and that will still be treated. And I think that there's some fear, I see a lot of fear on social media that maybe that um, ectopic pregnancies won't be able to be treated appropriately. And I don't think that will be the case and that's certainly not the intent by any any means and same thing with miscarriages as well you know I've seen that a lot in the media well you know women may not be able to get treatment for their miscarriage or could be criminalized for a miscarriage and that that's um, that's just not the case with, um, with the this. intent correct that's not the intent and yeah yeah and there's yeah. a lot like I and I think in just our conversations off mic there's a lot that's just up in the air because it seems like our legislators and elected officials um, they kind of drop a bomb and didn't do the fine print yet. Yes. There's a lot of fine print that they haven't gotten to yet, which I understand could lead to fear um, with these kind of things, but understanding that the intent is not there, um, and so there's really no, you know, smoke alarm going off Mm -hmm. yet about those issues. But I also think that's where a lot of, like, frustration on my part comes in, too, is, like, okay, as a voter, you know, Mm -hmm. once you get to... 18 and people encourage you to vote and you're listening to all these people talk about one side or the other and why you should you know vote for them and you know they might be talking about their pro-life or their pro-choice well now that they've given all this power back to the states it feels like maybe it's not true (laughs) it feels like that has just been like a talking head kind of a thing but um, there isn't a plan. Like mm-hmm. if I would have said, Hey, you know, four years ago or whenever I'm going to vote for you, you're mm-hmm. this, what's the actual plan if this yeah. power was given to you? Because yeah. now I feel like that's where we sit, where we're kind of like scrambling because, Oh, Hey, this is a thing we've always said, but we don't actually have a plan. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. So I don't know. That's super frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's a valid point. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you're looking at the legislation, and I think from as an OBGYN, and I hear colleagues say this as well, is, you know, when you, when you criminalize it. So, so far, when you look at the states that have um, actually criminalized abortion, it's for the provider of the abortion, you know, that is, that's a felony offense in every single state so far that it has, and again, grace umbrella because things could change <laughs> yeah and, you know but tomorrow far, who yeah knows? exactly yeah. but it but it's um considered a felony offense um and punishable by time in prison mm-hmm. or a very large fine losing your um license, license. Yeah. so and then the hospitals of course are worried about this criminalization of you know are they going to be put at harm so because of this vagueness uh, you know there's it's creating roadblocks that, or that potentially could create roadblocks that are unnecessary mm-hmm. you know and so I think the importance of, I think you speak very well to that. Like, you know, we as, as a legislation, we need to know what the, what the verbiage is going to be yeah. and who's at the table making these decisions. And um, because the intent, just like Joel said, the intent is there, but the, you know, the action and the follow through are going to be really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other misconceptions? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, throwing out a few other things that I see when I just kind of scroll through some of my social media. I mean, I think one thing that may be surprising or interesting to some is, you know, most OBGYNs do not form perform abortions. So, you know, I see a lot of this. And again, this is a very heated, um, you know, topic, but saying abortion is health care. You know, when you actually look at statistically how many OBGYNs provide abortions, it's only about 14 percent. So so there's there's gray in everything and there's certain situations situations, um, you know, that are unique, but, um, you know, the majority of OBGYNs will never have to perform an abortion in their lifetime or feel like that is something that is a routine part of their care to, to adequately take care of women. So, you know, whether you want to say abortion is health care or not, I think that's, um, you know, that's a, a difficult general statement, but I think it's important to know that most OBs do not perform abortions. So, because well, when you, you know, like out in the public, when I'm talking mm-hmm. to, you know, my mom or ran, you know random mm-hmm. people on the street like when they think abortion they think oh this is someone who's been reckless mm-hmm. and who now doesn't want to accept responsibility for you know the consequence of you know their action but um how many i guess it's, i don't know yeah, how, much of, story, how much is but that like, the story how much is yeah. that actually the story of abortions being performed yeah that is a great great question so when you look at the, and, it, and again, when you look at abortion data, and this is where when me trying to dig in and do this topic justice, you also have to know that there's not a lot of great data. You know, there's, there is, um, there's not requirements in every state for abortions to be reported. When we do, when the abortions are done with um, medical ways by medication, and there's no requirement by the CDC to report that at all. Some states choose to report that data, but some don't. So, you know, anytime, and that's true on either, in any spectrum of this, when you're looking at data, you just have to be careful because there's not a lot of great data. Mm -hmm. But the data that we have out there, um, you know, about, 10% 10% of abortions are done for what we would think of as the hard reasons, you know, like um, saving the, the life of the mother, like something significant that way, um, maybe a fatal birth defect, um, you know, rape, incest falls into that category. 90% of them are um, considered to be more for socioeconomic reasons, but, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons that that comes into play and I and I can't speak for every woman that have ever that I've seen that's ever had an abortion but most of them are there because they want to be there right. you know like they don't feel like they have another choice yes. mm-hmm. and so I think getting to the you know the why like what's behind the whys are, are what really where we can do good work mm-hmm. and um you know, dig in and make and hopefully make a difference in that aspect. But when you know, when you ask these women that are coming in for abortions, I think, um, you know, so even though 90% of them are probably in that socioeconomic kind of reason, there is a tremendous lack of access and adequate birth control mm-hmm. um, contraception um, in our country. Uh, you know, when you look back over the like back, um, gosh, years ago. There was a federally funded Title X, which um, is a federally funded program to give contraceptive access and family planning to all those states and from federal funds. Um, Planned Parenthood did a lot of that. And so, you know, they also performed abortions, but they also did a lot of access. So when you talk about, you know, if you ask your parents or like people in our generation, there was a Planned Parenthood in almost every county, mm-hmm. and it was you know, access to birth control. They could go in, and even these young girls, they didn't necessarily have to have their parents be aware. Mm-hmm. They could get a free visit. They could get very cheap birth control. They someone counseling on their options. Well, over the course of time, and you know, for good or for bad, that plan, Planned Parenthood pulled out of that Title X funding when some things changed in 2019, because that um, there was new regulations placed on Title X funding at that time, where you couldn't um, also be a abortion. You know, none of that money went to abortions, mm-hmm. um, but you couldn't be an abortion provider in that same building. Mm-hmm. So Planned Parenthood is providing a lot of that access, and they they pulled out. So. You know, when you look at the Title X funding and where that's going here, like in our state, in Indiana, for example, there are still some federally funded clinics, but there are only six clinics north of Indi- Indianapolis. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're looking, like if you look at a map, um, you know, our county and every single surrounding county, there is no federally funded access to contraception. So 
so, you know, I started calling around just because I'm learning with yeah. this. You know, Joel mm-hmm. asked me to do something. I want to make sure I do it right. So, you know, I'm, I'm calling around there. The, the closest for, like, just for Kokomo, an example, is, um, you know, an hour, almost an hour away. And, um, you know, that's that that's a big gap. Oh, yeah. You tie that's a couple a things together there that, yeah. you know, 90% socioeconomic reasons why mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. face this decision. Mm-hmm. And an hour away mm-hmm. to reach something that's rather expensive mm-hmm. that they do not have access to mm-hmm. because of socioeconomics. And you're starting to create a very wide gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're starting, I, in my head, you're tying some things together of why we're seeing what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can only have my empathy grow mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. of that. You tie those things together. And if it's resources, think of someone who is working 50 hours a week yeah. In a minimum wage job. And you're saying that they've got to take a, a, over a two hour trek there and back. Yeah. They can't take the trolley. They're yeah. not walking. Yeah, yeah. Over an hour away. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really fascinating. Yeah. And, and it is, if you have insurance, that's different, right? I mean, I think through Obamacare, we know that, um, and that still stands where if you have insurance of whether it's pri- private insurance or Medicaid, most birth control options are offered at a either zero cost or reduced mm-hmm. cost, but it starts with insurance. Yep. So, and even Medicaid, it, you know, sometimes Medicaid, depending on who you are, it's sure it's, it's, it should be accessible. But again, the logistics of who, you know, who they, who they call, do they have a car to get in to yeah. talk mm-hmm. to someone in the office? It just, they've got five kids who's going to babysit the kids yep. at home. So, I mean, there's, there's reasons that come into play there. Well, and just sure. a, a quick Google search for me. If, yes, this Title X doesn't affect people that are insured in America, but there's over 31 million people in America that are uninsured, even with Obamacare in place yeah. and with these protections. And so you're talking, what, 15 million women yeah. mm-hmm. or so, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just a, a huge gap in, in coverage. Yeah. Um, and then wow. when you throw on top of that, um, in at least for the United States data that we have, approximately half of all pregnancies are unintended. And then, you know, depending on which um, resources you look at, 30 to 60% of unintended pregnancies in an abortion. So, you know, just fixing the, the unintended pregnancy part could make a big difference mm-hmm. um, in the whole problem. So. Yeah, one thing that was interesting to me was um, research from 1973 when Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. went into effect to 2018. Under Republican presidents and under Democratic presidents, we saw a drop of actual abortions happen. It didn't matter if the guy was screaming pro-life, screaming pro-choice. It didn't matter Mm -hmm. because there was this huge uh, just lack of, there wasn't as much need for it. And so we saw abortions decrease um, incredibly while Roe v. Wade was in law to 2018, 2019, Title 10 changes, Planned Parenthood moves out of that funding, mm-hmm. and here we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're starting to see a little bump up. Now, again, what that, you know, what can we for, for sure attribute that to, we don't know. But yeah, it is interesting, 22% decline in abortions over the last, you know, 15, 20, I think from the years 2000 to 2019. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And one thing that I have seen a lot is Christians complaining about um, abortions that take place very late in the pregnancy. And in my mind, I see that, you know, you've made it eight months along. There has to be something that comes up that makes you choose to have an abortion that late. So what are your, um, what's your input on uh, abortions that happen that late in the pregnancy? Like, do you typically see that with, um, you know, people who have some type of complication that they've run into or financial issue or is it just someone who you know got along that far and just said you know I'm decided I don't want this anymore yeah that's a good question you know I can only speak to my experience right. in that um I there I just have never personally seen an, an mm-hmm. abortion performed after the 20 maybe the 20 22 week mark so you know the ones that I have seen performed at that time are someone comes into the office they have an ultrasound their baby's got some massive birth defects that you know whether they may be no potential at life or very poor potential at life those are the ones that I've that, that I have seen happen and that's all in that 22 week range it's hard for me to understand 
and I don't know in other states if it, it really is happening further along than that because babies are viable outside the womb. You know, now we at 22 weeks, we'll, if, if they're at least like 500 grams for the most part, we'll try to resuscitate those babies. So, in which we, it's 40 weeks is full. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm the yeah. guy in the room. I have to <laughs> do the math. Yeah, that's right. So, 40 weeks is full term. And there are certainly times we've had to induce women if they're very sick with high blood pressure disease or maybe they've got some bleeding issues going on but that is the usually results in a preterm delivery and sometimes of an extremely preterm delivery um, but that you know we we try to um, resuscitate those babies after 20 almost always after 24 weeks um, but even after 22 weeks we do that too so to see I just don't see it I haven't had right. experience of any kind of reason beyond that that we actually really do see abortions happening later on now could they be maybe i just nothing that i've seen right Mm -hmm. right yeah because i've heard of women who you know later on in their pregnancy find out that you know their baby no longer has brain activity or something like that and and some of them who have said like hey i was also forced to carry this baby to term Mm -hmm. so that's where you know, the tension is a little bit because, you know, you're carrying this baby that is no longer viable. Mm-hmm. Then what? Yeah. You know. And to speak to that, too, it makes me think of some examples. Like there there are sometimes when these babies don't like say, you know, they've got these significant birth defects or chromosomal abnormalities and there's a really high chance that if you go all the way to 40 weeks that they're not their their heart's not going to still be beating if you get that far and there's some moms that just really want to hold their live baby Mm -hmm. and let that baby you know pass in their arms and on their chest and if you take them all the way to term they may not get that opportunity so again that's some of that gray in there Mm -hmm. of you know, when you, the decision sometimes made between a doctor and the patient of, you know, what, what's the most humane thing to do in both, and both for mommy and baby in that situation. It's just not straightforward or simple. No. Mm -hmm. And I also just think of like, that situation is traumatic anyways, Mm -hmm. as a woman, as a mother, you know, but I also think, oh, if I have to carry this child that I know is not going to survive outside my womb and have people asking me like, yeah. oh, when's your baby due? Oh, what's it? Like, I just think of how much extra pain and suffering yeah. that you are kind of going through in that process. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's no, there's no black and white. Mm-mm. It's very gray. And, and some of the state legislation so far that I've seen will have some exemptions for if, um, you know, the, the, the chance that the baby won't survive outside the womb is is very slim or none. A lot of them don't. So, you know, that was something in Indiana that we, you know, that if if the baby wasn't going to survive, that that was something that you could induce early for. Um, But from what I'm seeing so far, that's not out there for all of them. So it's something to think about with with all these individual legislations. So as a doctor and a follower of Jesus, what about the current ruling leaves you cause for concern? You know, my biggest concern, and I and I hope that it will get the, the bugs worked out over time, but there's certainly, like, you know, when I see people just, yay, you know, it's been overturned, like, there there's a just a deep, um, compelling sense of responsibility and gravity to that because, you know, when you're looking at these individual legislations, uh, I, you know, I have some examples of just some other docs that I work with that are in some of these states that have already banned abortion of having these roadblocks to care where moms are not getting good enough care out of fear. So, wow. you know, like um, for for instance, just to kind of keep this in a you know very vague um, example, but you know, like uh, one example, a mom could be like 21, 22 weeks and her water breaks, say, and she shows every bit of signs of infection. And like this, I have an example of this with a doc that's in one of these abortion banned states. This uh, mom also had a stitch in her cervix to kind of hold her. So she had a high-risk pregnancy where she had to have a stitch in her cervix to kind of keep the pregnancy. Well, her water broke, she shows signs of infection, the baby still has a heartbeat. Um, But the next thing we typically have to do is take out that stitch, otherwise it will tear her cervix, it could cause problems. Mm -hmm. So she had to get approval from risk management in the hospital, the nurse managers, before she could even remove the stitch. She had to get um, a second doctor to agree. 
And then, um, so there was a lot of delay in yeah. care for a mom that was already going through something Thank terrible goodness. that yep. was yeah. going to end up in, no matter what, <clears throat> going to end up in a bad situation. But people are scared that, you know, you throw a felony behind it. And, you know, I think everyone is a little bit fearful that they don't want to do the wrong thing. So, you know, there was some obstruction to care there. And, um, you know, for this particular circumstance, the baby, once they take out the stitch, the baby um, just spontaneously started to deliver, still has a heartbeat, but then it kind of got stuck in the birth canal. So, you know, at this point, delivery is inevitable, but it's not healthy for mom to have a baby stuck there in the birth canal. So, you know, typically we have to give medicine like Pitocin to make contractions happen to deliver the baby. Well, she couldn't do that. She couldn't do that without approval. Mm -hmm. The nurses couldn't run the medicine. So um, in order to give Pitocin, the doctor had to come in every 20 minutes and push medicine. Um, You know, and and it just, it's just not, it's not good care. And again, is that the intent behind this? I just don't don't think think it is. Mm -hmm. But are we going to have some of these trials? In the meantime, if we don't have like adequate descriptions of what we're talking about and, you know, the vagueness and all these individual 50 different mm-hmm. states, we could. So I think, you know, that's one of my biggest fears for sure. Yeah. Well, and, you know, something that I was thinking about the other day, I'm like, okay, so say you live in a state that has, you know, banned abortion and it's a decision that you have made for yourself, but you live you know, close enough that, and you have, you know, and you're able to take time off work and you have the means and all these things. Like, can you drive to another state, have it happen? Like, what, are there any repercussions for you doing that or no? Will those states, you know, allow people to come in and do that? Like, I don't know how that's all going to work. And, you know, at this point, it's like, I'm a, I'm a person that needs, I need the rules. Like, right. what are the rules? Right. <laughs> what what right. are the rules? I want to be able to read, you know, clearly defined situations. But, uh-huh. like, there's just so much gray. Like, we just keep yeah. talking about, like, yeah. could that mom just drive across the border and yeah. have it done? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I don't think any of us know. Right. That's the fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, we need some clarity there for sure. Yeah. Are there any other causes for concern? Like, or something that just bumps up against you know, the Holy Spirit inside of you with the current reality that we see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that that one certainly is a big one. But I mean, really what bumps up against me a lot is this whole, like, you know, access to birth control. I think, you know, it's a big issue. And I, and I feel like, you know, we are not taking care of women. You know, we can't place our beliefs on other people about premarital sex or sex or contraception, you know, but we've got to honor them by giving them like the access to that. And I think to not make sure that that is well in place and we're providing for women um, and then putting the span out there, just, I just don't think it's fair. And I think that we need to really, um, that bristles up against me big time. Like, what can I do to help create contraceptive access? Yeah. For sure. So that is kind of, yeah. Teenagers, it worries me. Yes, I I do as well. So like, in the in that vein like what can we do right now if we want to partner with god to bring peace to kind of all this chaos and the questions and yeah just the uncertainty around all everything yeah well you know and just to before i kind of hit on that i mean i think the other thing that um really has concern for me too and then we can kind of talk about all those things but you know we just the aftercare of what these girls do have um you know after so you know they carry this baby they were concerned for socioeconomic reasons whether it be job or child care and then they have this baby there are still so many gaps out there um on how to help really help these women and i can give you just an example my you know my stepdaughter she's 28 she had a baby when she was you know, in her, in her early twenties. Um, and you know, she had, she could get insurance. That was okay. Um, you know, food stamps for her. And this was, I don't know if this has changed, but you couldn't make more than $1,500 a month Mm -hmm. to get food stamps. So the minute that you make any kind of money beyond that, that's taken away. Um, and this didn't have, wasn't in regard to her, but, and I didn't know this until she told me, you can't have a prior drug charge to get food stamps. So if you've ever had a prior drug charge, then that's something you can't get. So access to adequate food. Um, her biggest issue, like housing and childcare, you know, housing um, at that time, the, there was a waiting list that was two to three years for oh, any kind of decent goodness. housing. Yeah. Now, I don't know if she could have got into some of these like 
apartments in town but to get actually like the vouchers for like rentals and and they they actually just tabled it for a while due to lack of funding so they t- they put her on a two or three year waiting list and then her biggest issue was child care so mm-hmm. you know there's there's assistance there's voucher assistance and things for child care but it's only really for first shift mm-hmm. so as a young mom that maybe doesn't have any kind of degree or um uh you know profession that she can lean towards at that time there's not many first shift jobs out there yeah. you know there's a lot of waitressing jobs and evening jobs, but there's no childcare. Mm-hmm. So um, unless you have family to help you, which a lot of these people don't have support, um, you know they they can't they can't provide for their family if they don't have childcare. So I mean those are the things that bristle yep. against me. Well, so. and I can relate to that as well. Like I was barely 21 when I had my first uh, daughter, and like no one wanted to rent us an apartment because. Mm-hmm. We were young. Mm-hmm. Like I had um, a landlord actually call my parents and ask. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, you know, there are so many barriers. And we were on um, WIC assistance and all sorts of stuff. And thankfully, like um, I worked a day job and my husband worked um, an evening job. And so we were able to kind of like as soon as I got home, he left. And so somebody was always with her. But like if that had not been the case, yeah. What would we have done during the day? You know, so yeah. there's no way at that age that you can afford childcare and to work. Yeah. It just kind of it offsets everything you're making. Yeah. So it does. It's very hard. It is. So what can we do? What do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Outside yeah. of panic. You know, outside right. of panic. Outside yeah. of yeah. You know, some people probably are beating their chest thinking that this is a great this move in legislation. Um, it's a great victory for God. You know, there's both of those things, and I'm sure that both of those realities are listening with us. But I think the real pressing question is, what's next? And how do we be people that partner with God mm-hmm. in this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, number one is just listening and empathizing with people that are in this position. Um, you know, just hearing these stories, I think it makes us better humans to really see the whites of people's eyes and hear what they have to say on any side of this this uh, spectrum. Um, you know, but I think just also being a voice, you know, for me in healthcare, like even Joel just kind of asking me to come up and, um, you know, talk about this stuff has just spurred such a desire. Like I have a responsibility, you know, I, I'm in this field, I have a responsibility to use my voice to, to, uh, help. And I think anyone that's in the healthcare field, albeit doctor, nurses, working in hospitals, maybe working in schools, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, we, we just have to, um, use our voice to kind of help from the medical side. You know, I talked to legislation and, um, you know, I've emailed, so I've emailed Dr. Box, I've emailed Dr. Holcomb, <laughs> like, you know, put put people like us at the table when yes, you're making these le- this legislation yes. and not just the extremes on both sides. I think, mm-hmm. so I think anyone just imploring our local governments that if you have any kind of expertise in this area to put yourself out there. I'm not one that likes to put myself out there, but I, you know, it's Oh, it's I had important. to pay her so much to be on the podcast. <laughs> Are you sure I am, I am broke. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that's for one, if you have any kind of stake in the game at all, like um, in that field, I think just you you got to use your voice. And I think, you know, with the contraception, I mean, just it, it didn't take me a whole lot of time to, to figure out where access was, at least, you know, for us. And um, even though it is 45 minutes, an hour drive making, you know, do, do counselors know that in school? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are, are we do our do our young adults know this like who who, we need to make sure that that's available I mean I feel bad to say as an OBGYN I did I didn't know I Mm -hmm. live here and I didn't even know where you could get title 10 access so you know I think um you know helping in that realm as well teachers counselors I mean just just uh using your voice to kind of help with that um pregnancy resource centers I kind of spontaneously again because Joel's got me on this mission (laughs) I uh, just walked into our pregnancy resource center in town and um they are so much good that they're doing there and they could use so much help so you know whether if if it's just sitting at the front desk you know they're they said they're constantly in need volunteers um you know and there's a lot of things they provide in there that I didn't know I mean they you know they provide um, at least our our re- local one, and there's several that are part of this same structure. 
but they provide pregnancy tests, early ultrasounds. They provide education, mentoring. Um, uh, they do vouchers where you can get pick out things from their store. Uh, you know, there's a lot that they do to come alongside women. I think it's probably an underutilized resource, and I, they need more help. So I think volunteering there, finding out what you can do, donating. They say that, you know, diapers, wipes, they've got a list of things that they could use. They need um, people to come along and be mentors to these girls. So I think those pregnancy resource centers, you probably could find them in just about every area. And just to add yeah. a question to that, yeah. um, the pregnancy resource center that we have here – we're not talking about a place that is going to shame women or push women down if they have made this decision or try to, you know, yeah. make sure that you could never do that. You know, like, yeah. what does that look like? <clears throat> exactly. And that's really why I wanted to walk in there and talk to them myself, because I had that conception of and I, you know, that misconception in this circumstance but you know there are some places out there that they will put on their website you know abortion care abortion you know um, counseling and you get in there and it's a lot of shame and guilt about maintaining your pregnancy and I never want anyone that feels like this that they're at the end of the ropes and this is their only option to feel like that they're shamed into anything so you want to do your due diligence to find out make sure that that's not what they do and so you know the pregnancy resource center here in town is certainly not of the shaming variety variety <laughs> so um so yeah, I think that's a big one. And then, you know, just other things like I think, and maybe just from personal experience from watching my stepdaughter go through this, but, but childcare, that's something as a church that we could do, mm -hmm. you know, like just, you know, being, being, having people adopt a grandkid or, mm -hmm. you know, offering some type of second, third, second, third shift childcare. I think that we can come alongside these women. We can mentor, we can small group. Mm -hmm. um, I think we all have a responsibility, you know, we, to step up right now yeah. like, to, to make a difference. So. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about social media a lot and just the um, how loud kind of that can be because, mm -hmm. you know, you're behind a keyboard and it's easy to, you know, <laughs> have strong opinions when you're not, like you said, looking in the whites of somebody's eyes. And um, I heard a quote one time that said, um, we can be bright lights in the world without leaving our high beams on and annoying everybody. And so <laughs> I think that like, for me, that's where like social media and what we put out there and portray, especially as Christians and people who say that we are following Jesus, like it's okay to have opinions 100%, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's how you are sharing that. If it's through a lens of love and, um, that's important mm -hmm. because people are watching you and they're watching us and they want to see how we're reacting to these kinds of things. And, um, if it's not through that lens of love and the voice, then not only are they going to be off put by you as a person, mm -hmm. <laughs> but by the church and by, you know, what it means to be loved by God. And, yeah. um, so there's just a lot of responsibility I feel like that comes with being a Christian and having social media access and it's having true. opinions, all the things. So yeah. it's hard. Yeah. So, man, thank you so much for your time, Andrea, and, you know, and Abby and Allison, too. I'm just sitting here and getting teary-eyed halfway through this because um, it's such an important conversation. I'm so glad to have your voices in this. And um, I hope I hope that this conversation is just a starter to the long road I think that people of faith have in front of us. Um, mm -hmm. We said we wanted this to be a conversation because uh, there's a lot of people talking at each other and not hearing each other and listening. Um, and so my, my prayer, some of my prayers through this big cultural moment that we're in is that um, followers of Jesus would be known more for their curiosity, for asking mm -hmm. questions and not making assumptions, but um, doing the work and maybe leading to a place of empathy of saying, hey, if I had experienced what you'd had experienced, I'd probably see things the way that you do. Yeah. Um, man, what a beautiful thing to be known for and what an incredible opportunity that we have. And, you know, because Jesus is for all people, um, man, I pray that we widen the conversation from wherever we are uh, to be people that value everyone, the unborn, children, mothers, women, people of all across the socioeconomic spectrum, that we be people that stand in the gaps and that um, we do our best for everyone. And we live in the gray and the mess 
um, in between those things. I also feel like instead of a moment of you know chest beating and just strict celebration um, for people of faith, I mean, I feel an extreme weight um, and an opportunity, but it's, 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 it's a big opportunity that yeah. the church in the middle between 1973 to 2021, um, we didn't do a ton in, mm-hmm. yep. but a weight to get our hands dirty now and to ask some deeper questions of the why women face this impossible decision and to look at the systems and the structures that um, I think we've tried to illuminate in this conversation to be like, okay, how can the people of God stand in the gap and say, not on our watch? Yeah, It's not going to be a stance. It's not going to be just a flag or a sign in our yard. But um, how can we stand in the gap um, to say that this is not okay? Um, and look at the systems and the things behind the thing. Man, I, I'm, I'm like fearfully excited about that opportunity Mm -hmm. um, because it is an incredible opportunity um, for a watching world to see people of faith not just be known for what they check on a theological test but to be known for the way that we love each other everyone Um, and I also just wanted to say before we close this conversation um, that you know if you're listening to this and um, you're a woman and maybe you are in the moment where you're feeling the fear of uh, this man, this impossible decision, um, and you're, you know, frightened about what God thinks about it, or if you're part of a faith community, what they think about it, and if you're going to be exiled if you make it, and what you're going to actually do to make ends meet if you don't make it. Um, man, I just want you to hear um, that you are so loved, and you're loved beyond the circumstances that you have in front of you, and there is a God who does not look at you. Um, as abortion or not abortion or pro-life or pro-choice in this, but he looks at you and he says that you're enough and you are loved beyond measure before you do anything. Um, And I hope you hear that. And if you are um, a woman who has faced this decision, maybe in the 10% reality of those hard moments where you have to make a split decision um, and complications, or um, you're a woman who in your history or in your past, you've Uh, You made that decision because it was the best decision that you knew how to make in front of you. I hope that you know that you are more than that decision, that you have um, a God who loves you and is for you. And um, and there uh, are faith communities that would welcome you with open arms and say this does not define who you are. Your identity is way beyond this and um, that you are welcome. Mm -hmm. I I pray that you know that. and um, here at Bridgeway, we would love to support you and um, just put our arms around you and let you know that you have a place here and you've got a purpose here. So I just wanted you to hear that. Um, thanks so much for going on the journey with us. Um, yeah. And thank you again for joining us, Dr. Hoover. Yes. Yeah, thanks for answering our questions it. and doing research. You are probably the most prepared guest we have. <laughs> she was probably the most prepared person in the room today, right? <laughs> yeah, I can't say any of our other guests have gone to a pregnancy center to do their preparation beforehand. <laughs> thank you again for joining us. And if you have questions or topics you'd like us to talk about, you can email those to atypicaltalkpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook for all of those updates at Atypical Talk Pod. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We hope that these conversations today have helped you think wider, love deeper, and partner with God to bring the up there, down here in your everyday life. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.